Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. It's too easy to say, well, health insurance companies are bad and hospitals are bad, but like doctors are good. That's just like such a way that our culture wants things to be like good or bad right now. It's just like so much more complicated than that. And I think when you accept that, then it's like, okay, well, I don't have to be mad anymore. Now I can have fun and I can like think of new imagination and new ways and new creative things to be doing in healthcare. Three. Two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant. And I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world. And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. LinkedIn presents... Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, where we are celebrating women in tech from around the world. Here today, we have Emily F. Peters with us. She is based in San Francisco, California. My name is Anika Aftab, and I'm based in Honolulu, Hawaii, and I've been passionate about the healthcare space my whole life. I'm incredibly excited to be interviewing women that are changing the healthcare landscape, one tech company at a time. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. So my name is Emily Peters, and I founded Uncommon Bold, which is a brand strategy studio for healthcare uh, about 10 years ago. And before that, I came up in the tech startup world. I did two startups in fintech and two startups in the digital health space. I was part of the founding team at Practice Fusion and then also part of the founding team at Doximity. And way back before all that, I was a journalist. I was a sports writer. Um, So I've worked in the tech space for a long, long time. Our clients at Uncommon Bold include Elation Health, uh, Lyra Health, Blue Shield of California, all kinds of different, really innovative, mostly enterprise health technologies that are working behind the scenes to make the healthcare sector work a little bit more efficiently, to make a little bit more space for sort of the humanity and the caring side of healthcare. Mm-hmm. I love that. And so what does is, what is Uncommon Bold mean to you? My husband actually named my company when I first started out. So I had left the tech space. I, I left my last role where I was an SVP of communications. And I thought at the 
time I was probably going to go back and work in tech startups again, but I went to Hawaii and I was living in Hawaii for, uh, for many weeks and I was kind of just enjoying life. And I, I started a consulting firm just to like have something to say, you know, I am still, I'm still in the game. Right. And my husband helped me name it uncommon bold. The idea of being, you know, differentiated of having like a, a bold and vibrant and more like kind of energetic uh, uh, brand. And so he, he gets the credit for the name. <laughs> and we're in Hawaii. I have to say, we're in the inspiration uh, company. I was living in Kihei on Maui. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I, I live in Honolulu. So, um, but I do love Maui and just all the other yeah. islands are just fantastic. It's a great That's place awesome. to hide out for a while. Right. And <laughs> I understand that. What you're doing. <laughs> it, it's funny because, but it brings you inspiration altogether. Um, I would say just being amongst nature and just beautiful, just the beauty of the the place. I mean, um, we can definitely talk more about that, but that is, I, I, I completely understand. <laughs> when I was in Hawaii, you know, it was really a, I guess, soul searching kind of time, but it, you know, I wasn't looking to change how I thought about myself and my career and my professional expertise. I thought I was just taking a break and I was going back. And in those few weeks, um, you know, I started to get people reaching out and saying, we'd love to work with you. We want your expertise. And, um, you coming out of the tech startup landscape, my value had always felt really connected to the companies that I was working for. And it was that time where I suddenly saw like, oh, I have my own reputation and I have my own value and like I could build this company to be exactly the way I want it. Um, so that all came to me when I was, you know, swimming with the turtles. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. And so Uncommon Bold started as, did you say like a man, uh, a consulting agency? Yeah. So I was just consulting myself doing communications and brand strategy and, you know, um, press releases and that kind of thing. And then it's grown over time. Now we have 10 employees and, you know, 10 to 12 clients at a time. And we're doing massive rebrands, redesigns, brand strategy projects, um, artist collaborations, all kinds of cool stuff. So what, why is what Uncommon Gold does? Why is it important? Well, I think anybody who's worked in the health technology space for a little bit has seen kind of the very low bar that a lot of marketing and communications and branding in our sector, right? So there's the same blue logo. There's the same, like that one stock photo of like the hand with like touching the icons, right? And like the cyberspace, you're like the same, like one stock photo of a weird doctor in a white coat with an iPad. And, um, that's not what healthcare really looks like, right? On the front lines, healthcare is, super human and like really visceral and emotional and important. And I want our healthcare brands to also look and feel like that too. So when we do work with clients, it's about kind of cutting through the jargon, leaving the acronyms behind, you know, telling a story of, okay, so you're doing, you know, shift scheduling, combinatorial optimization at your company. Like, that's great. That sounds cool. But, you know, if we dive a little deeper, oh, you're like you're allowing physicians and nurses to have control and have agency over their own shift schedules and you're allowing them to like reduce their burnout and to have safer shifts and to be able to see more patients in a way that's like healthier and more sustainable for them. Like, okay, that's a story that we want to tell, right? <laughs> 
Absolutely. And so how did you just, how did you become exposed to the health tech space in particular? It was kind of kismet. I, I like to think that I fell into it, but then it's one of those things like you look back and the pattern seems actually really clear. So my dad was a physician. He was a psychiatrist and he had actually gone back to medical school when he was 50 um, and had always wanted to be a doctor and had a you know relatively short career in medicine because he started so late, but just like loved it. Right. And was geeked out on it all the medical textbooks and the anatomy books and like would draw on note cards, you know, how synaptic junctions worked and how like these new medicines were working for depression and anxiety. And so, you know, I grew up kind of in that landscape of like medicine is the coolest, right? Medicine is like apex of the most fun, most impactful profession that you can be in. So when I started out, I was working in fintech, right? I just kind of, um, fell into that pathway. And then after my second company in fintech, I just had this moment like, I don't really want to be doing credit cards and loans and credit scores for the rest of my life. And so I wanted to start something new. And I found a job listing on Craigslist for this tiny company that I interviewed for. And at the time I interviewed, they were actually incubating in a larger company. So I didn't know that the company was only five people when I accepted the job. (laughs) It was a surprise when I showed up, I was like, oh, wait, like I didn't do my research on this, but uh, it turned out to be amazing. And that was Practice Fusion. And it was an incredible run of growing that company from that, you know, eight people when I started to, it was 350 people when I left and it was, it was tremendous. Wow. That's amazing. And it's, but you had started in journalism, right? So you had sports Mm -hmm. journalism and then fintech, which is (laughs) A bit, a bit of a jump, I would say. I mean, it all like the pattern makes tons of sense when you look back at it. And like pattern recognition is actually like the core of what I do every day with companies. But the pattern is, oh, it's it's human stories combined with data and numbers, right? And that's what sports writing is, right? It's taking like and stats from games and then like adding in that layer of like the, you know, the hero's journey and like the underdog that like amazing emotional stuff. FinTech is kind of the same, you know, it's credit cards and loans, but you're talking about somebody, you know, being able to buy their house or, you know, like crawling out of debt and like, it's very human still. And then medicine is like the ultimate, right? So it's all the data and the science and the math and the technology and that like life or death story of people who are, you know, um, being cared for, being like literally brought back from the dead, right. By medicine. And that's like the ultimate combination. I think of those two. Wow. I, I absolutely, absolutely love that. And I love how you summed it up. It's the theme of human stories with the data and numbers and bringing all of that, bridging that gap. Would you say that's been kind of your calling or do you have a calling? (laughs) I think you know, I've always, I've always been a marketer, right? Like even as like a little kid, I was like a Girl Scout cookie seller extraordinaire, right? And I was in high school and I was putting on like the prom and I was selling the like candy grams. And I, you know, the marketing side of me is just like part of my DNA. (laughs) Like that's just who I am. Um, The medical side is like a deep passion and like a personal mission for me, right? And it became 
you know, I had been working in that space for almost 10 years. Um, and then I became a patient myself. So I had a near fatal, um, delivery. I basically bled to death after my daughter was born in the hospital and I was in the ICU. I received all these blood transfusions. I received like really groundbreaking interventional radiology to save my life. Right. And I woke up and I was like, oh, like this just got really real, right? You know, like, yes, I had this mission and passion for the doctors and the nurses and the patients. Now I'm the patient, I'm in the hospital, I'm seeing this and it kicked into gear for me, just the impact that our work could have, right? Um, And we got much more serious as a business, you know, growing, adding more staff, adding more clients, getting much more serious around like what kinds of companies we want to work with. How do we have that big impact? And then that also set me on the course of writing my first book and now the new book that we have too. First and foremost, thank you for sharing that. And I'm so thankful that the system was able to support you. Um, and I know me, we don't, we don't give healthcare enough credit or there's just, there are first line of like of life sometimes. And so um, I'm really thankful that everything did work out. In medicine, it's so complex, right? So like I was probably in that situation because of a medical error, but then they saved my life and that was like a miracle. And so, you know, everything in medicine is like that. It's so complex. It's such a paradox. You can never say it's all good or all bad, right? Um, And I just love that about being in medicine because it keeps you curious, right? It keeps like the work is never, never done. <laughs> always changing, always something to do. But it's amazing because it really can have an impact. It does have an impact on so many, everyone, every single person has an, uh, has an impact through medicine, right? Probably 99.9% of us in a hospital. So we've all been a patient at some point in our lives and you know, probably I'll be a patient again. And we want that system to be safe. We want it to be effective. We want it to be caring and human. And you know, the people in medicine, we don't want them to be miserable, right? And I think a lot of us who've had medical experiences, especially in the last couple of years, like you go in to see your doctor and the doctor's unhappy. And you go see you know, your nurse and your nurse is like, uh, you know, talking about vaccine misinformation. And you're like, this isn't like, we need to break out of this system. We need this to be different. We need people to be working in medicine, feeling happy, feeling like they have agency and like it's sustainable for everybody. I, I absolutely love that. Um, and you mentioned, so uh, after this, it seems like a pivotal moment. You said that it inspired you to write your first book. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So, yeah. So I woke up in the hospital, you know, very like a journalist brain of mine. I like immediately started taking notes. I was out of my gourd on medicine, like fentanyl and right, like all of the stuff I was in the ICU. And I was like, I need to like take notes about what's happening. Right. Like I need to tell this story. And the first thing I did is I, I worked like a few months after I recovered, I worked with the blood bank and we did a, a program where you like reached out and actually said thank you to the individual blood donors who had saved my life. And that was like an amazing first way to say thank you. And we had, um, I got to meet them in person, the 32 people who helped me. And, you know, that was a first step of like, okay, say thank you. And then next, like, 
say thank you again, like even more. So I wrote my first book around um, women remaking medicine. And so it was a profile of 10 women who um, were driving change in all different kinds of ways. So you had, you know, kind of your like typical leader, maybe like a woman who had been in the military, who was an astronaut, who was great, but like, it was also like a five foot tall blonde cheerleader from Tennessee, um, you know, all the way through to people who were leading change inside of Genentech and um, leading change as physicians and being writers. So that was the first book that I did. And then I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to like it's going to be so easy to write my next book. And it took me honestly, like a long time with the pandemic and with everything, like, what is the story that I'm trying to tell? And, you know, how do I tell a story that does sit in that paradox of, of medicine, not being all good and not being all bad? Like, how do you stay, you know, how do you stop being demoralized in that kind of setting? Like, how do you stay energetic? How do you stay optimistic about it? And I started looking back at the work we had done and I was like, oh, it's always artists, right? Like we bring in artists to help us on these projects. We bring in illustrators and, you know, writers and photographers. And that became the thread that we started to pull. And so the book now is almost coming out in just a few months and it features I think it's like 35 people altogether of like a puppeteer who trains medical students to have more like embodiment and connection to disability in, in the body. There's a musician who used her own ICU experience to work with um, the ICU alarm manufacturer to change the tone of the ICU alarm so that it would be less grating for patients and also for the nurses and doctors living with these alarms. There's stories of photographers and architects and all these different people. And so I feel like this is kind of the next step in that journey of saying, thank you. Now it's like, thank you. And I'm going to push you healthcare to like get more creative and to be more imaginative. And I'm going to like say thank you by asking you to get better. Right? So is there anywhere we as listeners can follow your journey? Where can we get your book once it's published? Yeah. So you can follow along at procedure.press. That's the name of our publishing arm that's helping me with creating this book. Um, and the team at Uncommon Bold has been a huge help on all of this too. Um, and then it will be coming out in probably June. So stay tuned. Um, but if you come sign up on the website or through our social media for procedure, you can get on the VIP list and get all the updates and early access. It sounds amazing. And it sounds so important. But I, at the same time, I'm thinking about it. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, where bringing that creative side into a space that desperately needs it's really In the process of the book, I thought it was just going to be very tactical of like, oh, here's a way you can work with an artist. And like, here's this interesting way that they can like help you think about the future and how to change things. And actually, in researching the book, and we worked with some historians throughout it, you realize that art and medicine have this really um, complex history together. So, you know, in African cultures, this idea of art and medicine being very intertwined, like it's just part of it, like that you, you know, the colors and the the plants around you and the music are all part of like medicine and all healing. Um, and you go back even to the very first um, physician ever recorded in ancient Egypt. And he was also an architect and he was also the, the vase maker in chief, right? So there's this really interesting history 
of how art and medicine have long been together. A lot of the same things that we use as paint um, were also paint and medicine, right? The same chemical components. Um, and it's actually a really recent thing just in the last hundred years that medicine has become purely like a scientific discipline. Um, and so we're actually, it feels like we're at this moment now where medicine's starting to say like, oh, you know, we need to be more human. We need to like realize that people need like beauty and art and their environment and part of healing. You know, it's not just bacteria and sterilization and, you know, anti-infection, but it's also like the human spirit and like people need to be cared for and um, heal in that way. That's like a much more human kind of way. Wow. And I, I actually had no idea about that disconnect or the now existing disconnect between, you know, all of that, that holistic approach towards humans and uh, medicine and art and all of that combined. Um, what would you say has been, you know, through this journey and like interviewing these individuals and learning about that connection, like what would you say has been like the biggest takeaway for you or a few, I guess, if you have a few takeaways? I mean, there's, there's so many interesting things in the book. There's a reason the book is like 200 and some pages long, right? Because it's, it's um, a big story. I mean, I think that the biggest takeaway to me is, you know, there is this authority in medicine, which is really valuable and it is like trusted and it is a big part of how medicine, you know, progresses slowly with this like very considerate, very deliberate, like scientific way. And that's all like, those are good things, but realizing the flip side of it, that that all of that is so brand new. Right. And so we even think like the white coat ceremony that medical students do, that feels really old. Right. It feels like something that's been like, oh, obviously that's been going on for a long, long time. That ceremony started in 1986. <laughs> like there was a, a an assistant in a medical college who like the one of the professors was complaining that the med students weren't dressing well enough. And so she created this ceremony for, for the med students. And it's like, it's just that feeling of like, oh, like it, I'm not mad at healthcare anymore in a way that I was like really mad at it a few months ago or even like a year ago um, because now I like I'm more curious. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from the book is like thinking like an artist, thinking with like creativity and imagination and not trying to force medicine into being like good or bad, right? And like there aren't companies, like it's too easy to say, well, health insurance companies are bad and hospitals are bad, but like doctors are good and nurse. And like, that's just like such a way that our culture wants things to be like good or bad right now. It's just like so much more complicated than that. And I think when you accept that, then it's like, okay, well, I don't have to be mad anymore. Now I can have fun and I can like think of new imagination and new ways and new creative things to be doing in healthcare. And um, there is so much really cool, like really amazing innovation that's happening in this space today. And so, you know, just trying to shake myself out of that feeling like mad and demoralized and like frustrated kind of way that I think anybody who works in healthcare for even a year gets that, you know, and feels burnt out and feels frustrated. No, absolutely. And I, I really admire, so, so something that I personally have been really trying to understand a lot more of is the, the actually the connection between polarizing um, emotions. So um, one in particular is like anger and awareness. Like why, why do we assume these two things are so 
um, opposite from one another. And I admire that you've kind of taken this approach of like creating something new or creating more from a, an emotion that's not necessarily positive because at the end of the day, they're really just the same side of the, or two, what is it? The two, two sides of the same coin. I, I really admire that you've, it sounds like you've taken this approach and um, what, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to re reimagine their, whether it be their circumstances or where they are, what they want to change or do something more about what they're um, going through, especially whether it be in the health tech space, the healthcare space, or just in general? All of it. Yeah. I think it was really valuable for me to realize through this book that the, the work of being optimistic, of having hope, of feeling like there's a really positive future, it is just more work than being pessimistic and cynical. And there's a science fiction author that we quote at the start of the book that he talks about how it's there's so much dystopia in films and movie and TV because it's it's literally cheaper to do that. You take a picture of New York, you like layer on a bunch of filters, you like tear it down. There's like a broken Starbucks on its side. And that's way cheaper for somebody making that content than to come up with like a positive, vibrant future. Right. And so for me, it just helps me feel like, of course, it's harder to be positive. And of course, it's harder to think about, you know, like a really abundant and joyful and effective and inexpensive healthcare system that is hard work and you have to put in that work and it should, it's okay that it doesn't come easily, but that work is really important. And we need people in healthcare to believe in the future of healthcare. Like we need people to think like there is a way we can make this better. Um, and I can see what that future looks like. I know what is possible. Um, so to me, yeah, like it, it doesn't have to come easy, right? Like that's not, that's totally normal. Not easy, but worth it. That is totally sure. worth it. Yeah. <laughs> we have to stay in it. You know, we need um, people to continue being physicians and nurses and fighting. And, you know, we saw the nurses strike, you know, this week and they, they, you know, they did it, right. They fought and that's hard. Um, and that's because they're like, they're hopeful, right. Like things can change and we can change it. Um, so we need everybody to, to believe it is possible. Well, and so in such an increasingly, you know, polarizing world that we're starting to live in where this, you know, misinformation, especially in the healthcare space is becoming so widespread. H how do you stay positive? Like, <laughs> It's hard. It can be really hard, right? I mean, it's the thing with healthcare because of that complexity, you know, you can spiral out in either direction so easily. So you can start to say, well, healthcare, you know, we have an issue with financial toxicity. Healthcare is so expensive that people either don't seek care or they do and they go bankrupt and it's terrible, right? And then you start to pick apart why. And like, there's a thousand million reasons why it's like that. And it's so bad. And um, it's just really easy to get caught up in that, right? Um, so I think it is it is super important to be thinking about, you know, how can I always be looking at the opposite side of this? Like, how can I question, 
you know, the stories and the headlines and the things I see on social media, right? Like, is there more to this story? Um, and the answer is like, yeah, there's absolutely always more to the story, right? It's always way more complicated. And our human brain, you know, we like things to be simple um, and just healthcare is not simple. And that doesn't mean it can't be good and it can't be better. And it can't like, you can't be part of making it better, but you can't say that it's all bad or it's all good, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Two, it's, it's the two sides of the same coin. Yes. <laughs> All of it's connected. Um, wow. Well, I love that. I love that way of thinking. You'd mentioned just a few of your, like a, a few of your obstacles that you've gone through in your life. And I'm sure that there are plenty more. Like how have you overcome the obstacles that you have gone through? Oh, yeah. I mean, working in tech startups, again, you know, it's like medicine. It's not all good. It's not all bad. Like there's a lot of really good and a lot of really bad things that comes with that startup landscape. Right. So there have definitely been times I've hit the glass ceiling really hard. Right. Or I've hit cultures and companies where you're like you know, male or female, like this is just not a healthy culture here. Like this is not respectful of people's lives and it's not great. Right. Um, I think for me, the thing is just always, you know, just keep swimming kind of right. Like just keep going always. And I'm lucky because I love the work that I do and I'm really driven to keep doing it. Right. And so if it's, you know, if you get fired, I've been fired plenty of times, right? You know, um, if you uh, have to leave a job, I've had to have to do that several times too. Just always finding a way to keep going, right? Um, and so for me, that was, you know, starting the business and thinking about what does that look like um, and just, you know, continuing to push it. But you have to really love it, right? Like if it's not the thing that you love, then take a second and think of like, there's a million jobs that you can have in the world. There's so many different things you can do. So it is okay to, to pivot. But for me, it's like, I just love doing this kind of work and I'm just going to keep finding new and different ways to keep doing it. Right. <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely love that. And what, like, what advice would you have for someone like just a young woman that's starting out in her career that wants to start a business? What, what advice would you give? I think everybody should start a business or at least consult for a year just to know I mean, it's not for everyone. A lot of people will be like, well, I tried that and I did not like it and that's fine. <laughs> but it's really interesting to know, you know, it's like an MBA, like, I mean, it's almost like a PhD in business just to like run a business for a year and do the bookkeeping and the taxes and the invoicing and get the business license. And like, how do you model a project? How do you price something? How do you send an invoice for that? How do you, you know, set good expectations with clients? For me, figuring all that stuff out often, like really the hard way, like figuring it out by messing it up and like doing it the wrong way is super fun. (laughs) And so I think everyone should try at least once. Um, You know, it is challenging. Like you won't make a lot of money your first year, right? And so you have to know, do I either have enough money saved or, you know, my husband was working at the time. And so at least I had his health insurance, right? And like we, we were okay, um, you know, or can I, you know, be doing some consulting on the side or be doing something on the side? So like, it is like, there's real risk in taking that step. Um, but, you know, taking yourself seriously and saying like, yeah, I can, 
I can do the math on this. I can create a spreadsheet and see how I could like run this business and how I could make more money now than I did when I was in a job and um, yeah, and have a lot of fun and kind of do it the way that I want to do it. So our company, you know, we, um, all people who are taking care of children or taking care of elderly parents or grandparents or have, you know, health issues, like everyone on our team has a lot on their plate, right? But they're also really super talented communications people and designers and writers and uh, managers and researchers. And so we have like most people on our team work between 20 and 30 hours a week. We're entirely virtual. We don't have set office hours, you know, we, like I was able to build a company that works the way that I want to work and has been super successful in that way. Right. And just like being able to set your own rules, right. Um, is to me the most fun part of the whole thing. I absolutely love that. And I love that, that you use the word fun. <laughs> like I, I was half expecting once you were saying all this, it's like, it's stressful. And you're like, no, it's, this is all fun. <laughs> I had one of the, one of the bosses I had in my life who had a lot of problems, but he had a great analogy of like the difference between stress and pressure, right? So stress, like if you imagine like a guy with an apple in his head and then a guy with like the arrow, bow and arrow pointed at him. Right. And so like the guy with the apple on his head with the bow and arrow pointed at him feels stress. He is not in control of that situation. The guy with the bow and arrow feels pressure. Pressure is like manageable pressure. Like you're in control that you can pull that quiver or not, you know, um, you're, you have agency over what you're doing. And so, yeah, it is very stressful sometimes to be running a business, but it's the pressure kind of stress where, you know, you get to make those choices. If you have a bad client, you can fire them. You know, if you make a banking mistake and you have to pay a penalty, like, okay, there's nobody who's going to come like yell at you about that. Like you made that choice yourself, right? I've never heard of that. I've never seen like seen that analogy, but now I am good. That has changed my mindset. I, I absolutely, I love that. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. Oh my goodness. You should write a book on just, you know, words of wisdom. <laughs> Another the next book. Well, speaking of next, what what is next for you? What is next for you? Whether it be you or Uncommon Bold, if you're working on anything else. The biggest thing this year is getting the book out, right? And so we'll be doing lunch parties and book tours and speaking things and all kinds of fun stuff to support the book. Um, we also have some really exciting client work that's coming up this year. So we're always excited to be you know, relaunching, rebranding clients, putting out websites, putting out new campaigns, telling really interesting stories, collaborating with artists. But, you know, this year just it's in a great way. It looks a lot like last year. It looks like the year before. And, you know, you just never know entirely what that year is going to hold. Um, we made it through the pandemic really smoothly. Um, and it looks like this year, you know, it's potentially a recession year, we're looking at like, you know, who's, who's retracting, who's changing, but we feel like we're in a really good place. Um, and the book is going to bring a ton of energy and fun to the work that we're doing this year on top of, of course, like our amazing clients that we love working with too. I'm so incredibly excited for you. And um, is there anything that our listeners can do to support you? Well, I would love for everybody who's interested in the book to check that out and to follow along. So yeah, our social media, Procedure Press, um, Procedure.press for the website. You can also find it through my own LinkedIn. You know, 
this is a book that is very much a labor of love. And it's one of those things you're kind of putting it out there into the world. And it's like, is my baby ugly? I feel like it's a really good looking baby. I feel like people are going to love it. <laughs> um, but you never know, right? And so it's it's definitely a very like vulnerable process to put something out there and to tell, you know, to be saying to, you know, people who are running hospitals or who are brain surgeons, like, here's something you don't know, like, just, you know, I have an idea for you. Like, that's a very vulnerable process, but it's also super fun and it opens doors and it, it lets you build like new relationships and new contacts and new projects. And it's just going to be so fun. So I'm also currently writing a book and something someone once told me, and this has always stood out to me is, um, my, my book is pretty vulnerable as well. And I mean, we can talk about this another time as well, but they said that it's vulnerable, but necessary because once you start talking about it, that lets that, it opens the door for others to, to start. And so I'm, I, I 110% believe that what you're doing, although vulnerable, it is necessary. And I'm so incredibly excited to follow along your journey and, and any way that we can help, I can help, please, please let us know. So I have one question that obviously, since we're on the Women in Tech podcast, I have to ask, who is a woman in tech that inspires you? Oh, that's such a good question. There are so many. I mean, I actually think somebody we know in common is Kina, right? So Kina from Alation Health, um, she is just such a really like sensible and focused person, right? And so like, you know, talking with Kina sometimes, like she's just very, very dedicated to the work and doesn't, I think more in like a way that I, I'm often in my own head, right? And I'm like, is this the, the way that other people are doing this? Or like, how does this fit into like these trends and patterns? And like, I overthink like, Kina does not. Kina's just like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to serve primary care physicians. It's going to be great. I'm going to go home to my kids. At the end of the day, I'm just going to come back the next day and do it. And like, just like a no drama person. <laughs> um, and so I really enjoy working with Kina. And, you know, the downside of that is like, she doesn't always like celebrate the wins that she has. And so I love getting to play that role with her about like, Kina, you did such a good job and like gold stars. And she gets a little embarrassed and like blushes. But um, I think the way that like Kina is just very, I mean, I guess you would say like, just does not tune into the haters, like does not tune into the drama, just like does her own thing, like minds her own business. Like, I love that. She's so amazing. Absolutely love her. And I admire her so much. And I feel so honored to be working for a company that she is the CEO of, you know, I, I absolutely adore Kina. She's amazing. Um, and this is probably my third interview that someone has said Kina. So all the listeners are going to love Kina. Yeah, she is the MVP. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. So I have a few rapid fire questions just to ask. And then um, lightning round while well, we, we have a few more minutes. So first question, what is your favorite book? Well, I have so many favorite books, but a book that I just read, I just read The Splendid and the Vile, which is about the start of World War II in England. And it's a great reminder. It's kind of like day by day going through the start of the war and then through the beginning of the war. Um, but just like a very human need to continue to live and have fun, even though things are 
bad, right? And so this book is like, you know, there's bombs raining down on London and people are still going out to nightclubs. They're still like falling in love and getting engaged and they're still having dinner parties. And it's like, I think that's the thing we also sometimes miss in science fiction. Like they like to just say like, oh, the future is bad. People are not having any fun. There's like, nobody's having any in their life. And that book to me just really shows like, that's not true. (laughs) People have fun in all kinds of horrible situations all the time. And that's like a very human thing that we need to make space for in our lives. I absolutely love that. And can you repeat the title one more time? Yeah. The Splendid and the Vile. I love that. And I love the dichotomy, yeah. the dichotomy of just splendid in the vile. But it's those a, two yeah, words. talking about paradox and that everything is a gray area, right? That there's no, it's never all bad or all good. <laughs> it's it's the and factor. You can have good and bad, not good or bad, black or yeah. white. It's black and white. Like yeah. Exactly. Oh, I love I love that notion. I really do. Okay. So next question. What is your favorite podcast or video series, TV show, anything that you can you can think of? I love a good gimmick. And so there's a great podcast that I love called Off Menu that's two British comedians. And they the gimmick is that you have different celebrities and comedians come on and it's their dream menu. So you start with like, what's your dream appetizer and your dream side dish and your dream meal and cocktail and all the way through to dessert. And it's so interesting because some people have, you know, very like gourmet taste and it's, you know, like, you know, scampy and like all this like fancy stuff. And then some people have like really like strange taste. I mean, it's England, right? And they're talking about like Pizza Hut and like all the stuff that they put in. But it's just like a really great question for conversation that it gets like really interesting people to come on the show and um, talk about food and culture. And I love that show. What is your best resource for technology or any like newsletters, any, any, anywhere anyone can go to access more information um, on health tech or any, any sort of like technology? Yeah. So, I mean, I am a, I'm still sticking with Twitter despite all their drama lately, but it is like Twitter for me. It's yeah. Talk about something that's not all good or all bad, like just drama, but I love following reporters on Twitter. Um, and so seeing what, you know, some of our healthcare reporters like Heather Landy or Ruth Reader, like who, you know, what are people talking about in our space and kind of getting that live feed? I really enjoy that. Like what's Dan Diamond doing? You know, he's a great investigative reporter in our space. Um, Just like really tuning into like what's like the latest that people are talking about. You know, I really love like the reporting that Stat News does, that Kaiser Health News does. An Arm and a Leg podcast does great reporting around like the financial side of healthcare. The problem, there's so much, like there are so many amazing writers and producers and people doing incredible content in healthcare. So you have to, like, you could just spend all day reading all of it. You have to kind of put a pin in it and make sure that you have time to work too. (laughs) (laughs) You can take, I mean, there's so much information out there. You can continue to just take all of that in. Um, So that makes, that completely makes sense. So Twitter, okay. I love it. And then, so the standard, one of the standard closing questions I've already asked is how can we, uh, listeners support you? But the second is how can people connect with you? Yeah, I love when people connect to me. So um, on LinkedIn is great. Although, you know, like everybody, there's a lot of spam on there. So if I miss you, sorry. Um, I'm also part of the C-Sweetener mentoring program for women in healthcare 
technology, which is really great. Um, that's a program that was started by Lisa Sunan and a couple other women in healthcare and it's now been acquired by Health. Um, but the great thing is you can go on there and create a profile. You can find a mentor and you can just book a half hour conversation with people. And it's it's like speed dating, speed networking. It's really fun. You get to like pop into somebody's life when they have a big question about their career, what they should do. And, you know, everyone's in healthcare, so you kind of all speak the same language. Um, and it's a really great way to connect with me and other amazing people in healthcare. And it's called C-Suite. C-Sweetener. It has kind of a funky name. <laughs> so C, C, like C-Sweet, but it's Sweetener, like the, like, um, you know, like sugar. So capital C, capital S, W-E-E-T-E-N-E-R. I am going to create an account right after this. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I had no idea about it. That is, I, I absolutely... I absolutely adore that. So I'm, I'm going to definitely look more into it. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an incredible conversation. I feel so energetic. So I appreciate, I appreciate having this conversation with you. And thank you again for your flexibility and your time. So thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world. Remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. You can say hello on our socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And I will see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for having me. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.